I'm from Alabama. I just, just thought I'd tell you that because you probably can't tell. <laughs> it is a joy to be with you. We've been uh, wanting to come up here in this neck of the woods for a long time. And uh, we've actually been praying about coming up here uh, to talk about Jesus for years, at least 15 or so years that we know specifically. And so this is our first time to be here, and what a joy to meet you. Thank you. I feel welcome. Like Pastor Quentin said, we, um, we've been missionaries a long time. We moved on to the mission field for the first time in 1996, and we raised our family on the mission field, um, working primarily with the direct descendants of the Aztec Indians in south-central Mexico, uh, working in small villages and and opening the gospel in a place that m- many 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 villages that never had had any uh, gospel roots put down there, and we got to be the first person to tell them about Jesus, and that's an amazing thing. And I'm really thankful to the Lord uh, that we've gotten to be emissaries of His love to people that have. They under, they know the vocabulary word. They know the name Jesus, but they don't. They never had really met him before, and you know the real guy, because he's alive. Jesus is alive. He is not dead, and he's the same one that walked around on this earth. He's still the same today. And so, I just want to bless you. Thank you, Pastor Quentin, for the invitation and and for your hospitality and. It is a joy and an honor to be here with you. And so, <clears throat> like he said, our, we found out last night that our, um, our little girl, Aspen, who's not so little anymore, she's grown up and married. Um, she's been dealing with pain, many times severe abdominal pain, every day of her life since she was four years old. And we didn't know what the problem was, and we had prayed and fasted and We've seen God do thousands of miracles. We've seen people raised from the dead and lame people walking. And I'm going to talk to you about that some this morning. Uh, but we never did. We we couldn't figure out what in the world was wrong with her. And uh, she had a she had a crisis last year in June, right? And she ended up in the emergency room. And there was the right doctor at the right time. And they did the right scans to look at her. And they say, well, we think we know what's wrong with you. And so we think we can fix that. And so she has a, a condition called adult intestinal malrotation. And what that means is, is when she was being formed in the womb, all of her intestines inside, her insides, were in the wrong place. So all of her small intestines were packed down in the lower left quadrant of her abdomen. And her colon, part of her colon was in the wrong place and just kind of in a tight ball. And so as a result of that, that caused her intestines to only work at about 50% all of her life. And so everything that she puts in her mouth causes that to hurt. And so they did this major abdominal surgery and they, they cut her intestines apart because they were all seized together and they they pulled them outside of her body and they put them back inside and um, 
she's been dealing with a, a, a complicated year-long recovery, and and we've had about four or five episodes of acute pain, and that's not supposed to happen. And so, yesterday we got a text from her uh, that said, you know, pray. I'm having to take pain medicine, and she has an enormous tolerance for for pain, you know, because of living in pain every day. And uh, we know if she says that, there's something something really up. And so, anyway, they found out that uh, there's still stuff going on in there, and so thank you for praying. And so I, I tell you that to let you know that I'm not a pie-in-the-sky preacher who ignores the realities of struggles. And sometimes when we hear or we read books about people who believe in miracles and believe in the power of God and believe in healing, there's sort of the struggle with ignoring the realities that are there. And there's people in all kinds of doctrinal stands, and I don't know where you stand. I'm, I'm just here to give you my two cents. But I will tell you that if it's not a real problem, neither is it real power that fixes the problem. And that when we sort of downplay people's struggle and their suffering, we make light of their trouble. That doesn't approach the love of God. God doesn't make light of our struggles. He gets in the middle of our life, in the middle of our situations... And there is no wall that he won't kick down to pursue us. And I want to talk to you today, and I was really been praying for you and for this meeting for a long time. We knew we were coming up here, and I've been preaching the gospel for a long time, since I was 15 years old. I'm 53 now, and so I've, I don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of messages that I've preached and in Mexico doing our church planting work. Man, the power of God blew up so much and people started getting saved and I had so many villages open that I would end up, I was just responding, you know, here's the thing about God, He don't need sleep. (laughs) And man, He will just move as long as there's people that will respond to Him. But the problem is, is when you're out there by yourself, man, there's a, I can promise you, I didn't think there was a limit to what you can do, but there really is a limit to what you can do. And I found my limit in Mexico, and and it seems to be um, around the 60 or 70 uh, times a month preaching the gospel, that's about my limit. And so um, that's an enormous amount of work and an enormous amount of effort and an enormous amount of fights with the devil. And so I don't... I don't have a lack of stuff to say, but I don't want to just come here and say stuff. What I want to do is dial in on what the Holy Spirit has to say, what He wants to say. And uh, I do love to talk about the power of God, but I love more to talk about what the Holy Spirit wants said. So it so happens that I believe that what the Holy Spirit picked for me to talk about today is right down the teeth of the devil. So we're just going to talk about the power of God and we're going to talk about miracles and we're going to talk about healing because in Jesus' name, today is the day for my little girl to get healed. (laughs) 
And we have been in a barrage of attacks against our children. And when I say our children, I mean either directly our missionaries or people that we're associated with. And we are in the middle of dealing with some terrible tragedies. And some of those things refuse any rational explanation. And the devil's really pushing us as a nation to get really confused about him, who he is, and how he is. And so, that is one of The title of my message today is Ordinary Unschooled Men. Because usually, oftentimes, when we, when we go to, a, to sort of grappling with the call of God, and we start feeling stupid, stirred and and the Holy Spirit starts trying to get us in gear and get us engaged first with our relationship with Him and second with our relationship with others because you know that fulfills all of the heart of God. Love God and love others. That's what the kingdom of God boils down to. And there's some really wonderful dynamics associated with that, but that's also all, where all the problems are. People have a hard time getting along with God and they have a hard time getting along with each other. And so what we want to do is really work with the Holy Spirit and engage with Him. But when He starts pulling us, we have this, who, me? I don't, I can't. And we, and, and, and we think about all kinds of reasons why we can't engage right now today in whatever it is. Who, me? And then we go, we go on that sort of elusive... You know, have, you ever, have you ever seen like on TV or a cartoon where, where there might be a horse-drawn carriage and he's walking along and there's a, there's a fishing pole sticking out over his head and there's a carrot dangling out, dangling out there and he's always walking trying to get the carrot, right? Well, so often we... Sometimes we believe that way about growing in God. If I can get over there, if I can just get to that carrot that this teacher or that teacher or this book or that book or this idea or that idea or maybe God, we have this perception that God's dangling a carrot in front of us trying to draw us forward. And, but we feel inside like we never actually get the carrot. You ever felt like that? Well, I'm here to tell you, that who me, that thing right there, God is not dangling a carrot out here that we can never get to. As a matter of fact, we are to the location that we're supposed to be right now. Now, I don't mean that there's not room for growth. There certainly is. We should grow every day. We should be a lifelong learner. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So everything that we can know and understand and grasp about God and about our faith, it can grow. It can go from where it is to more. And that is the intention of God. But we get, we get, we get stuck in this dangling carrot thing. And we need to just chop that fishing pole up and throw it away because that's a wrong idea about God. You know, <clears throat> we got all kinds of wrong ideas about God because we know in part and we prophesy in part and the window that we see through at, on this side of eternity is dirty. It's obscured. The King James calls it a glass darkling. Right? 
but later we'll see him face to face. But I believe and I know that what the Lord does is he works with us and he gives us more clarity and more clarity and more clarity. Have you ever noticed that when you first got saved or you first had your encounters with God or whatever, boy, and, and, and you got some of you got years under your belt. And don't you know Jesus better now than when the first day you met him? And that's God cleaning the window off. He just cleans it off and he cleans it off and he cleans it off. But there's, there's some foundational principles. And one of those foundational principles is who you are right now, God loves. And who you are right now is vested with the presence and the power of God. And so there was something distinctive about most of the disciples that Jesus walked up to and said, follow me. They were not, most of them were not upper class. They were not educated. They were common people. Now there were, there were some upper class, educated, intelligent, and what we would call prepared people that did follow Jesus. Nicodemus was one of those. The apostle Paul was one of those. And he ebbed and flowed through the Bible and he picked and he, he, he did use prepared people. Moses was one of those. But there's something distinctive about us. We seem, no matter how much preparation we get, we seem to have one of two problems. We either never think that we can get the carrot or we think too highly of ourselves. We never really get the nail on the head. And it says in Second Peter that we are giving, given everything that we need for life and godliness. Because it's not about what, it's about who. There's a lot of what associated in our life and our relationship with Jesus. But the primary focus has to be about who. Because if the Bible says that the main point is to love God and to love others, what's that talking about? It's talking about relationship. It's talking about organic interaction. And so there's some distinctives and common denominators that we find. So let's jump in the Bible. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, it says, And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and we're asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John... And realize that they were, what does your Bible say? Unschooled and ordinary. That means they were undistinctive in their culture. They were not standouts. They were not Ivy League graduates. But they had an encounter with them that was astonishing to them and distinctive in their cultural thinking. The authorities that were that were that had them on trial. They realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, 
And they were astonished. Does your Bible say something like that? And they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so there's something that happens to us when we hang out with Jesus. It catalyzes change in us that that happens on every level of the internal man. Only Jesus can transform us and conform us to the image of God. The true uncorrupted image of God. He draws us to His nature out of our born human corrupted sinful nature. Because of His love, He does that. And so, there was something that happened with these men that caused them to be an anomaly in their society. It caused them to stand out in their culture. It forged a change that was abnormal. And so we have this propensity to kind of want to fit in and the peer pressure is around us and we don't want to make waves. But you know what? We're really called a holy nation, a peculiar people. And so when you start to hang out with Jesus, it causes this transcendency to come into your person that makes you distinctive and different. And it causes you to stand out. And really, we are called to make waves in the normal current of our culture around us for the good of the life and love of God that He sent us to be emissaries of. And so status quo is not really an option for us. And we can't stay in the status quo if we are being with Jesus. You can be a Christian. You can hook yourself into Christendom and not make waves. You can read books. And you can study and your relationship with God can be about what you believe and not make waves and look just like everybody around you because you don't have any connectivity with them. Not really. You're not in the weeds of their life. Because if the greatest expression of the love of God in us because of our love for God for us is to love our neighbors, then that causes us to be concerned about other people. And that concern drives us toward eternity. And it's, it's privacy intrusion is what it is for the good of our neighbors. It's disruptive to our privacy and theirs too. It has to be. Because otherwise, the currents of society just go where they go, and the mass decides what that is, and truth becomes relative. And I can assure you that there is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. There is one truth, and it is rigid, and His name is Jesus But how we articulate that and how we get connectivity with our neighbors and the people around us and our family members that don't know God, that's where we get into trouble so often. 
We are emissaries of the love of God. We are not first purveyors of doctrine and hard truth where we beat people with a hammer in the head. And so, look at this. So I think what we ought to do is go to the source. And if we are Christians, you know, the world and history is hijacked what that means. But the Bible does call us, in the New Testament, Christians. Those who are associated with Christ. Christ-like. Right? And so what we ought to do is go to Jesus and see how it is He defined Himself and His effect on the culture around Him. So let's go look in Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 Verse 1, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, he went, on there, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, and this is talking about John the Baptist, heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent His disciples to, to ask Him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And do you really understand what this question is? Are you the Christ? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one that we've been taught about all our life? Are you the one that we're expecting? Are you the one that we have all these different, some, a lot of them were erroneous expectations about what Christ means and what Messiah means. A lot of them wanted him to throw, to disrupt the political system and put an end to the Roman occupation and, and, the, and the Roman Empire and restore this Davidic kingdom that was going to be all-powerful in the earth in that time because they were subjugated by the Roman Empire. And so, you know, all of us have expectations that we place upon God. And those expectations usually are developed by what we know about the Bible our interactions with other Christians, our level of encounter with God, what our society frames for us. Those things build perceptions and expectations that we place upon God. And those expectations sometimes are right and they are sometimes wrong. And so... John heard about that and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? And they had all kinds of ideas. And so Jesus, in order to begin to set their expectation and their perception as close as possible to his reality and the reality, because the reality of God is the reality. We're not, we don't see that so, so clear all the time. And here's what Jesus said. Here's how he defined the gospel. Here's how he defined himself and how he interacts with others and his impact upon society. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Everybody say, hear and see. Say it again, hear and see. Okay, so right now, I'm preaching or teaching. I'm conveying information to you, and you're hearing that, right? I mean, I hope you're hearing it. (laughs) But outside of my 
incredibly animated public speaking ability, you really can't see the teaching, can you? You can't see the sound as it goes through the air and goes into your mind. You can, you know, I, I, I was like about fell out of my chair when I went in Pastor Quentin's office in there. He's got more books than a show dog can jump over. <laughs> and I can see all those books. I can see that teaching, you know, but really, you know, what good is a book if it's not applied? Right? So you really can't see teaching. You really can't see the conveyance of information. And that certainly is part of the kingdom. There's a lot of forces at work that want to shut that down. Cultural relevance and political correctness and the gagging of the truth. And I don't know if you've been kind of watching things lately. So they're trying to shut the hearing down because the hearing is important. So, but there's something else here. Here, there's two words. Hear and see. Right? So we got the hearing down, man. Our nation has more substance in the hearing probably than any nation on the face of the earth. We have gospel saturation. We have preachers on TV. We have 24-7 Christian satellite television and radio. You know, you can turn your Sirius XM on and find people preaching and people singing about Jesus, and it never stops. You can find that. Now, that's unusual. That's, that doesn't happen that way in every nation. And so we got a lot. We got 50% of the gospel. Man, we got that dialed in, son. It's happening. Where we sometimes run into trouble is the seeing thing. What do you mean, seeing? Well, I, we don't have to wonder what the seeing is talking about because it says right here. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You know, that's kind of a funny thing, but there are people who have a lot of trouble with people like me who defend the fact that Jesus still does this stuff. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what's really cool? That doesn't just mean that he still works miracles today. That means that if you had turbulence in your past and you didn't live so great or you had something very traumatic in your past, that Jesus is right now in the past Lord over that and his power can transcend anything that has happened in your life. And I do understand that we do reap what we sow. It is true. It says that in Galatians. We do reap what we sow. And sometimes we reap what other people sows, and we're, and we're innocent. It affects us in a negative way. Right? But you know what? Jesus is Lord of your past, your present, and your future. And that's part of the good news of the gospel. His power knows no bounds. Right? So when we talk about this seeing, 
about blind people getting their sight back and lame people walking and leprosy cured and the deaf here and dead dead people being raised and and it go, and the list goes on what we really see is that the gospel is about power it says this in Romans 1:16 for i am not ashamed of the gospel of the lord jesus christ because it's the power of god unto salvation and so what happens when you take the power out of the gospel All you have left is the hearing portion. Then it's not the gospel anymore. Then it just deteriorates into philosophy. And what is philosophy? Well, philosophy is just a fancy, smart, $50 way of saying that's just somebody's opinion. (laughs) Maybe it's, I don't know, you know, if you have a degree in philosophy, you paid more than $50 for it, but... I am not a convert to philosophical Christianity. I'm a convert to the whole thing. Jesus is alive. I talked to him this morning. I know he talked to me back, so I know he's alive. He's right up in this room right now. Right? So power is the demonstration and the proof that Jesus is alive. Because that's what he did when he walked around, and he hasn't changed. Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, I'm not one of those people who believes in the power of God, and so I, I think it's okay to turn your brain off and not think. Because the Bible wants us to seek God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We just got to keep those things in the proper order. If we get our mind out there in front, well, our knowledge exalts itself against God. So we don't want to do that. We want to keep it in its proper order. Because listen to what this says about the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence, Or superior wisdom. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear. He didn't say he came. He didn't say I come to you in confidence and anointing. He certainly was anointed. But this is a little window in the who me? Surely I don't have enough. So obviously there was something going on inside Paul where he fell just like we do. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. But my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. And you know our faith can rest on any number of things. Everybody's been given the capacity to believe. That's what faith is. Capacity to believe. Doubt is faith working in the opposite direction of God. That is your capacity to believe in a negative. Your capacity to believe in a lie. Your capacity to believe in a current situation that God may want to deliver you from. On and on and on. 
So you're not going to be able to undo and get rid of your capacity to believe because God's put it in you. Romans chapter, chapter 12 says that. Every man's been given a measure of faith. Everybody's been given the capacity to believe. Our whole struggle has to do with getting it pointed at God. Right? And so the issue is, we struggle with this who me thing. I will later, God, when I get ready, when I get more anointing, when I understand healing more. When I, when I, when I. And I'm going to tell you, today is the day of sozo, salvation. It means total 100% healing, emotional healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, soul healing. It means the total package. Everything that is the whole counsel of God, that's what the word salvation means. Today is the day for that. It says in 2 Corinthians 6-2, now is the acceptable time. But it's this who me, this twisted mentality that God's dangling a carrot out here and He uses our own love for God because we want that. We want to become and we should want to become. It's the right thing to, to want to become. You know, if you're not teachable and correctable, you put a cap on your destiny. My dad taught me growing up, son, you should learn something new every day. We should be lifelong learners. We should always reach. But God does this thing in us. The more we interact with Him, the more satisfied we become and hungry for Him at the same time. It's the most satisfied unsatisfaction that... and it's. It's, there's lots of paradoxes in the kingdom of God like that. They pull intention in opposite directions. There are some concepts of God that we cannot reconcile. Love and wrath. You know, God has both of those things inside Him. Family and army. There's a bunch of concepts there that pull in opposite directions. God is love. That's what it says. 1 John 4, 8. But right now, I don't know if you're aware of it, we have more people martyred because they love Jesus in, in, in today's world. More than 300,000 people a year lose their life. They are tortured. They are beaten. They are torn. And they lose their life just because they love Jesus. And if we apply human wisdom to it, we think, man, that doesn't seem like that's very loving that God would let that happen. And so then we fall to the trap of having God meet our definition of good. And we end up sitting in judgment on God. Because in our very nature, that's what we fail to. You can be like God. See, that's what he told Eve when he... When he handed her, showed her the apple, or I don't know what kind of fruit it was. I'm not just picking on apples, but that's what all the, you know, storybooks have in them. You can be like God. And that's what we really, uh, there's something in our nature that kind of drives toward that, our corrupted nature. And that's what happens. We end up sitting in judgment on God. 
You ever heard uh, Oprah Winfrey's testimony? You know, she kind of has her own religion. But she was a Baptist at one time. And she heard a preacher preaching, and he said, God is a jealous God. And she got mad, and she went, God's jealous of me? Well, I ain't have anything to do with a God who's jealous. And at that moment, she sat on judgment on God, and she applied her definition against God. She judged him to her loss. And we, all, we do that in micro ways all the time, and we've got to think about these things. And so our relationship and our faith can rest on men's wisdom because God's wisdom mixed with men's wisdom is not... If it's 50% or 70% or 90% of God's wisdom and the mixture of men, it gets mixed in there at 50%, 20%, or 10%. It's not 70% God, 30% man. It becomes 100% man. How many of you have ever heard the word wicked? Yeah. Well, do you know what wicked means? Well, I know we're like bad. Wicked means bad. Yeah, well, our kids our kids want to say, oh, that's wicked, and somehow that means good. But I mean, the horror movie definition of wicked. You know what I'm saying? Have, you, have any of you ever sat in a piece of wicker furniture? That's some really cool stuff, right? You sit in a wicker, wicker rocking chair. Well, there's not too many straight lines in that thing. It's bent. It's twisted and woven together, right? Wicker means to twist. And the devil's got 6,000 years of experience at twisting the intent of God. Or twisting in mixture. Different ideas. A little leaven leaveneth the whole loaf. Right? And so if he can just twist in the wisdom of, a little bit of the wisdom of man... You know, it says in 1 Corinthians that the wisdom of man mixed with the wisdom of God empties the cross of its power. Why? Because it's no longer the wisdom of God when it gets mixed. God is holy. He is uncontaminated. And when we mix His ideas with something else, it's no longer His idea. And so in almost... I don't know about Satanism because I've not really ever looked into it. But in all, I, probably in most alternate religions, there are noble concepts embedded somewhere. There are ideas that originated in God, but they are mixed with men. They're mixed with the wisdom of God. They're mixed with the wisdom of hell. And then it becomes 100% not God. Like this one. Here's, a, here, here's some of that mixture. God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. You know who said that? Gandhi said that. 
And the church went, wow, boy, that fits really kind of the realities that we see. So we'll, we'll just take that. He didn't know God. And so we really have to think about things. Our faith can rest on the wisdom of men. So there's an, there's an idea out there that exists that the power of God ended with the last apostles. It's called dispensationalism. Cessationist dispensationalist. That's what they believe. And so when I was 19 years old, I went blind. And I had macular dystrophy. Some of you in here know what that is. And that's incurable. And I had a bunch of smart doctors look at me. And they said, there's nothing we can do for you. Eye cells are like brain cells. They don't regenerate. There's no kind of treatment. You're going to be, you're going to be this way the rest of your life. I went blind in my left eye. And, and the disease was also in my right eye. And, and they said, you know, it's more advanced in your left eye than it is in your right eye. And sorry. A dispensationalist would tell me you're stuck. But see, here's the problem. I can see you have a brown shirt on. Don't you? I think it's brown. I'm not colorblind. I can see that little sign back there over the door. Y'all look at it. See it? It says EXIT and it has red letters. Is that proof? I can see because Jesus healed me. Right? So that man wisdom was wrong. Now they didn't do it out of meanness. Now, I have experience that goes contrary to their wisdom. Wisdom, really, that kind of wisdom is just an argument. It's just philosophy. Ideas without power are only philosophy. And the man with experience is not at the mercy of a man with only an argument. Right? And so we need the demonstration. That's why Jesus said, go and tell John what you hear and see. Hear and see. Everybody say that. Hear and see. Okay, so we say amen. And then we run into the who, me? And then we think, boy, all those heroes in the Bible, if I could just be like them, if I could have just had the advantage to be one of the guys that walked with Jesus, I wouldn't be saddled with this doubt and these, this turbulence and this, and this oh man, you need, we need, you need to go read again. They were just like me and you. We are not disadvantaged. We are not. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it was to our benefit that things be like this. We are more advantaged than the ones who went before us. And, and so let's just, let's just unpack this a little bit. Are y'all bored? Okay. And I, I grew up in the South, and we have hollering preachers in the South. And so I'm, so, I'm sorry if that don't fit the culture up here, but, you know, just pray for me. <laughs> Because now I'm doing better. I'm hanging in there like two hairs in a biscuit. (laughs) Yes, I would like another bottle of water. Judges chapter 6. Let's go there and look. 
How many of you have ever heard the story of Gideon? Oh, I love this story. This is a cool story, and there's lots of cool stuff in here. But let's talk about Gideon just a second. So Israel was in a mess. Their sin had caused them to be afflicted by the Midianites. And it was because of their rebellion, but then God loves God loves us even in our rebellion, so he'll respond to us if we call out to him. So the nation of Israel, he start, they started calling out to him. And he decided to deliver them. And he picked the least family and the least member of the least family to do his deliverance. And he did that because he knew that me and you today would be going, who, me? Who, me? Not me, because that's what Gideon did. And it's a really cool story, and we think, wow, what a hero. He did not think he was a hero. See, it says, um, verse 11 of chapter 6 of Judges, it says, The angel of the Lord came, and he sat down under the oak in Oprah, and that belonged to Joash, the, Abers, uh, uh, the termite, and where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now we know from the exchange, Gideon did not see himself that way. God sees us different than we see ourselves. He does indeed know the reality of our current condition, but He also knows the reality of what the sacrifice of His Son has done on our behalf. God sees us different than we see ourselves. He's not dangling a carrot. The devil has convinced us that He's dangling a carrot. And He knows, and He's quite okay with us going, Who, me? I can't. I don't have enough. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon said, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Have you, have you ever been stuck in a situation like that? Why does God let bad things happen? If God heals, how come I can't get my little girl healed? Or why did my dear friend's son's granddaughter just die in a tragic car wreck, one of them, and the other little girl is paralyzed from the chest down? If God heals, then why? Well, I'm not asking those things because I, I used to. But I've been through a bunch of battles and I know better now. My knower transcends my emotions. So it says, but sir, if this is true, if the, if, if the Lord is with us, then why, why are we being afflicted by the devil's armies? Where are all his wonders that our forefather told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, See, the Lord didn't rebuke him. The Lord did not instruct him in the finer points of how to have the right confession. He left him exactly where he was with the who me. He totally ignored all that. And he engaged with Gideon on the level that he saw him as. Do you see it? 
The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the hand of Midian. Am I not sending you? Well, we know that he did not feel like he was very strong. So let's say it like this, and this helps us get the concept or the idea that I think the Lord wants us to get us across. How about this? Go in the weakness that you have. That's what Paul said. Paul was right up in there with Gideon. I came to you with weakness and fear. That doesn't sound like God's man of power for the hour. Stomp a mud hole in the devil. We win, he loses, and all the stuff that we say. If you're either not being honest, or you haven't crossed swords with a real problem yet, if that's what you think. The real real deal is, man... I've wilted a trainload of times. But I've seen God do extraordinary things in the middle of my weakness. God doesn't see us like we see ourselves. And it totally doesn't bother Him if we confess that we're weak. Our confession or our belief about ourselves doesn't stop God. Did it stop God with Gideon? No, God had a dialogue with him and says, Am I not sending you? Okay, so there's amazing, there's amazing equity and there's some amazing stuff when God decides to send somebody to do something. Oh, now we have gotten into a different category. He jumps right in our life where we are, with works with us how we are, and he says, I picked you and I want you to go do something. And when God jumps in our life in that capacity, all bets are off. It doesn't matter how we see ourselves. Go. You are going to be a solution to the problem that's the big, the problem that's causing you. To be hiding right now. You're having to hide. To provide for your family. That's what he was doing. He was hiding. So that he could thresh out some wheat. Because the Midianites kept stealing their harvest. They were stealing their food. And their families were starving to death. But Lord Gideon said. How can I save Israel? Who me? How can I do that? And then we tell him that this was his reality. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. And then the Lord says, this is so great. This is the gospel. I will be with you. I will be with you. Right? Do you see it? So that must mean this has to do about God and His power and not about us and our ability and our power. Right? So is there anything too hard for God? No. But man, there's, there's an ocean full of stuff that's too hard for us. I will be with you. 
and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Wow. And then we know what happens. So he tells this guy who thinks he's weak. In reality, he was weak. From the most insignificant and weak family in the kingdom. And he was the least member of his family. God picked him. And then he rallied. And he went and said, hey, let's go fight the Midianites. And a whole bunch of people showed up. And he's thinking, yay, strength in numbers. And you know what God had the nerve to do? Let's look at it. (laughs) Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley of the hill of Morth. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. Boy, I know this is famous. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce to the people, anyone who trembles. And so what did he do? He whittled this force down from thousands down to three hundred. Right? Why did he do that? Because it didn't have anything to do with our reality. It has to do with his existence. It has to do with his power. It has to do with his love. It has to do with his abilities. And so, in reality, you can get as prepared as you can conceptualize and not live up to the impossible I mean, really, if what we're faced with is impossible, I mean, there's like not degrees of impossible. It's not one thing is more impossible than the other. Impossible is impossible, not going to happen. And so the definition of a miracle is when God does something that's impossible. And he wants to use us. And man, that's stinking awesome. Right? It's like. Wow, so really, one man, knowing he's weak, compared to the army of the Midianites, it don't matter if there were, were 10,000 weak people, they're going to get the stuffings beat out of them. Unless the most all-powerful, most awesome entity in existence is with you. And so what that means is all of our deficiencies, whatever they are, you can never get so prepared and so anointed and so good and so transformed that you get rid of all your deficiencies this side of heaven. It's just not going to happen. So whatever deficiency that you have right now, as long as you love God and you're working toward Him. See, God works in our life and He just fills up and exceeds whatever our deficiencies are. Right now where we are. How many of you have ever thought, boy, boy, if I can just have a strong enough encounter with God, it will change me in a way and make me who I'm not. It will make me better. It will, it will forge me into a, really, in lack of a better term, the super Christian that I want. In other words, I will finally catch the carrot. If, if we can just have enough revival where th- there's enough encounter, then... And the who, me, is what's driving that. And the lie of the devil that the carrot's out there. 
and we think, boy, if I can just get a jump start and if God will kick me in the pants, he'll, I can jump up there and grab that carrot. You thought about that? Moses thought the same thing. Let's go look at him. Exodus chapter 3. Am I doing all right, pastor? Okay, so, you know, Moses has this burning bush thing, you know. And if you don't know about it, you need to go read about it because I need to hurry up so y'all don't get bored and you got your roast in the oven. And I promise not to speak for four hours because then your roast will be jerky by that time. (laughs) Exodus chapter 3 and 4. So if you want to read about this, it's really cool. So let me set it up for you. Moses, he was out in the desert. And if you don't know who Moses is, well, then just, just read the book. He has this encounter with God after he was messing around with smelly sheep for 40 years. And all of a sudden, God did something weird. And the weirdness is what made him run over there and look. I will let us... I mean, that ain't how he... He didn't talk. He's not from Alabama, so he didn't say it like I say it. But what it says is he saw a bush on fire and it was not consumed. And so... He said, let us go over and see, let us draw nigh to this strange sight. That's how the 14th version of King Jimmy said it. Right? In other words, God does weird stuff, and it's not about the weird stuff. It's about making us curious and making us run over there and go, that's weird looking, look at that. And when you get over there by the weird thing, then you run into God. That's what it's all about, see? It's called a sign and a wonder. It ain't you don't you don't go down the road on the interstate when you want to go to Portland and you look at the sign and you go, look at that sign, and you just stop and you say, How pretty is the sign? And I wonder about the post on the sign holding the sign up and or oh, our county commissioner. Look at the paint, it's peeling on the sign. You don't worry about the sign as long as the sign tells you how to get somewhere. When God does a sign and a wonder, he's pointing to himself. Don't get all tripped out about the weird stuff, because sometimes he does weird stuff. (laughs) He's trying to make us curious enough to run over there and look. What is that weird thing? And then when we get over there by the weird thing, then sometimes God speaks to us, and we have an encounter. And that's what he's after, see? So here's Moses. He's having this encounter, and God starts talking to him. And God tells him, I want you to go, and I want you to bring my people out of Egypt, and I want you to talk to Pharaoh. And he's like, say it. Who, me? God, why did you pick the worst thing I do? I don't talk good. That's essentially what he was saying. You picked my weakness. Reckon why he did that. You ever felt like that? I have. And then he was thinking, or like we said, we got this encounter thing going, I got this weakness and I don't like it and it makes me look bad and I stumble and I can't preach like Pastor Quentin and you want me to do what? Me? Who me? Who me? Who me? Me? Well, maybe if the open heaven happens that we're all waiting on while Miss, Miss Jen is singing, I can get up here and get enough of an encounter that will make this deficiency in me go away. And Moses complained about the same thing. 
Except he said it after the fact, and we need to hear this if we're into the presence and revival and all this stuff because we have a wrong thought about encounter and what it does and what its purpose is in us. It says, you see, Moses, he's going through this argument with God. You can read about his argument in chapter 4. But, but Moses answered, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? The Lord said that the Lord appeared to me. And then the Lord said, what's that in your right hand? A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And, it, and he threw it on the ground that turned into a snake. And and he's going back and forth, and God's being real patient. Verse 8, and Moses, every answer that God gave Moses, he had a what if, a yeah, but. Man, how many of you ever raised kids? You ever had them do that to you? You give them the answer, and they, and, and they come back with another question. It's just another angle for the same answer you just gave them. <laughs> right? <laughs> Then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe those two signs or listen to them, take some water from the Nile. And so he's telling him, look, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. Moses, he still don't get it. Moses is pretty awesome. And Lord, you know, I'm not complaining about Moses. There were some folks that complained about Moses in the desert, and they got swallowed, so I'm not complaining about Moses. But but what I'm saying is, we're just the same as him. And God used him to do some pretty awesome things because he sent him. He called him. He sent him. He put a staff in his hand, and he promised to be with him. Does that sound familiar? And then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He has one of the most famous recorded for all of history encounters with the living God and it did not change him substantively in his weakness. God used him as he was. You see, and that's what God wants to do with us. I'm not saying that God's not into transformation. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm trying to encourage you. But so often we think about our weaknesses because we go, who me? Because I can't. Because the carrot that's dangling out there is maybe I can become someone I am not. Maybe I can get rid of this thing. Like me, you know, I'm dyslexic. Maybe if God would make my brain work better. Maybe if he would let me understand the English language like my wife then. I wrote a book. Go figure. That's a miracle. I told God, who, me? You want me to write a book? I'm like the consummate anti-book preacher. It made me write a book. I preached at least 10,000 times. You don't need no stinking book. It's second-hand revelation. Just seek God for yourself. And yeah, I got egg all over my face and ate crow and put foot in my mouth because God told me, I want you to write. You what? Who, me? I can't do that, Lord. You saw my high school term paper, right? You remember, you remember the dismal failure in that, huh? <laughs> the devil's an expert at twisting the intent of God in our hearts and our minds. 
Paul said, I came to you with weakness and fear. That doesn't sound like the description of a champion of the faith. Oh, but it is. It's just like you and I. And what I'm looking at right now are champions, are giants in God, because that's how God sees you. Mighty warrior, man of holiness, free from the shackles of sin and death. Rise up. You have miracles in your hands. You are the people of God Almighty. That the blood of His Son purchased, and there is no power in existence that can stop that. It's settled. His love is settled. He has decided to be found by us. Take Him up on His invitation. Because here's the bottom line, and I... I, So we think, boy, do you see that those people felt just like we feel? Can you see it? They dealt with the same things that we deal with. Who, me? And we're frustrated by the dangling carrot because the dangling carrot is a twisted phantom idea that is not true. So I have a question. Do the promises of God that are articulated in the Bible, do they they apply to us today? Right? They do apply to us. Some of them or all of them? All of them. Because if all of them don't apply, then who gets to decide that? And with what criteria is that decided? Well, I don't know about you, but I would rather have God make the decisions about how to, about what applies and what doesn't apply. Let's say that one or two of them don't apply. Just for instance, I don't believe that. But don't you think it's safer to act like all of them do and let God sort it out in the end? I mean, that would like be the safest course. In other words, Jesus is Lord, not men. And I'm not going to let some man decide what applies to my life and what applies... What, what doesn't apply to my life. And so he wrote this stuff down on purpose. And so he told Gideon, he called him as he saw him, mighty warrior. Gideon didn't see God's perspective. Hello? I can promise you we don't see God's perspective. We can learn truth that God has a different perspective, but we don't really get it. And God works with us and He helps us to understand God's perspective. Mighty warrior. Go. Who, me? I'm sending you. I will be with you. That's what He told Gideon. That's what He told Moses. And you know what? That's what He's told us. Let's look at it. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, we're there, so let's look at it. Actually, 10. Well, let's look at 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. I'm going to be with you. He promised Moses that. And we read about the extraordinary outcome of what that meant for the world. 
to go somewhere accompanied by God. Extraordinary. He did the same thing. We're going to kind of toggle back and forth. So keep your finger in Exodus. Let's look at Judges real quick. Judges chapter 6 verse 12. I'll read it again. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's, that's, that was the greeting that God started off with. Do you see that? He told Moses, I'll be with you. He told Gideon, I'll be with you. I wonder if there's some place in there where he told us he'd be with us. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go, let's go find it. Matthew chapter 28. Y'all know this one, right? Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, what does it say? I am with you. Only on the weekend. Only during the Brownsville revival. Only during Azusa Street. Only when you feel the open heaven. Now, when does it say? I'm with you always. To the very end of the age. Well, that ain't happened yet, so I guess he's still with us. The age hasn't ended. What age? The age of the kingdom of God that the death of Jesus brought in. Right? How about this? Okay, so God's with us. You know, if, you, if you're born again, if you started a relationship with God, He is with you. Who, me? Yes, you. But He's not just with us. He's not just in us, for us. He's in us, through us, to others. We are sent. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means it's up to us to connect with other people, to tell them about the love of Jesus so that they can be reconciled in their relationship to God. He didn't give that to angels. He's given that to me and you. And we have the awesome responsibility and the awesome privilege of being sent. But if, we, if, we, if we're wanting to be stuck in this thing of, wow, man, I could never, and I wonder, did he send Gideon? How about in Judges chapter 6, verse 14? Look at what that says. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon, he told Gideon, I'm with you. I'm sending you. He told Moses the same thing. Look at it. I want you to see it. Exodus 3.10. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. An extraordinary feat. He said, I'm with you and I'm sending you. I wonder if he told that to us. How about Matthew Chapter 28, verse 19. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. So he told us, I'm with you. He's sending us and he sends us with power. Just like he did 
Moses, look at Exodus chapter 4. You can read about it, 1 through 3. What's that in your hand? A rod. And you know the story. You know, man, he did all these amazing plagues and all these miracles, and he split the ocean in half and, 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 and let the people walk through, and he fed them every day, and he did all these amazing things. He put power in Moses' hand. There was one time they were fighting a battle and he's holding his hands up and Israelites were whooping the dog out of the bad guys and he got tired and he dropping his hands and oh man, they started getting beat, the Israelites did. And so they, they sent some folks over there to prop his hands up. Why? Because in our hands are the power of God. In his hands the power of God it was. He did the same thing with Gideon. Judges six sixteen. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. What do you strike down something with? Your hands. Judy chop. <laughs> Is it all right if I have fun? How about Mark chapter 16, verse 17? <laughs> oh, Redneck from Alabama done got turned loose up here in Maine. Help us, Jesus. <laughs> Mark chapter 16. There's a bunch of places that promise power. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll drive out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it'll not hurt them all. And they will place their hands on the sick people, and they will get well. Why are we supposed to put our hands on sick people? Because power is in our hands, that's why. God has told us the same thing He told those people that we look at, look at as heroes that we think were so different than us. We think we're disadvantaged. We're not. Do you see it? It's the same. Why? Wow. Because there's this little verse up in the Bible, it says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What He used to do, He still does. And the stuff that we learned about God and His nature and the way He goes about things, He's still doing it. I'm going to give you some proof. And I'll close with this. Let's run back to Matthew chapter 11. Now, I talked to some folks. Uh, some of you were uh, over at Pastor Quentin's house the other night, and I was talking to you, and I told you some stories. We talked about faith, and I, I will promise you that I do not have perfect faith. So I don't want you to get the wrong idea out of these stories I'm fixing to tell you. Because I have said, who, me? More times than I can count. And... I've seen God do extraordinary things, and I've been stuck in situations I wish He would change that He hadn't. But I don't care about any of that. We got us a situation right now that I wish we didn't have. My little girl is about to be operated on. Unless Jesus walks in a room, which I'm hoping He'll do. And just blow the minds of all the doctors over there. Actually, her surgeon loves Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus in verse 4, it says, Jesus replied to the disciples of John, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf are here, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. 
Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. So I already told you about about my situation. I went blind in 1984 and I stayed blind for four months and God healed me. And it just happened in an instant. It wasn't a slow thing. I went from can't see to can see. He flipped the lights on. And I was really happy about that. I'm still happy about that. That's one of the things that's wrong with me. (laughs) And uh, I will never forget when he healed me. I walked out in the yard of this house. I looked up to the left. And I looked a few blocks up the street. And I could see the stop sign on the corner. And I will never forget what that looked like. It stopped blindness. That's exactly right. See, she's really smart. She comes up with all kinds of cool stuff like that. Wish I could think of that stuff. Audrey and I, we've been married almost 30 years. Next month, not, not, not next month, March. Next month, March, we complete 30 years. And I just want to tell you, I'm more in love with my wife now than I have ever been. And it's, she's the best thing that Jesus has ever done in my life except save me. She's an awesome lady. She'll make your life better just to know her. Um, now I'm thinking about my wife and I got distracted. What was I saying? <laughs> oh yeah, the blind see. Me, I saw it. Jesus healed me. I can see. <laughs> I was over in Australia one time. We were, we were, the, we were preaching and, and uh, the man that I worked with for a long time, he was, he was preaching this service, and there were thousands of people that came up. And uh, we, Actually, I'm sorry. We were, it was the same trip, but we had jumped over to New Zealand, and we were doing these services, and we happened to be in Auckland when this happened, and a bunch of people came up. And uh, we were actually praying for people to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and um, so this lady... Actually, that's that's a deaf story, and I'm not supposed to tell the deaf story. It's out of order. So I'll tell you the blind story over here. So, so, but I can't tell you the blind story without the deaf story. So, so just forgive me because I'm going to tell you the deaf story twice because it's out of order. But we got to do the context right. So this lady, she runs up there for the call to get the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But there's one thing about deaf people: they can't hear. She didn't know she came up at the wrong time. And so she got in the line over here to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She's standing there and she was, she was an older lady. You know, I'm 53 now and old, old keeps getting older somehow. <laughs> and she walked up there. And this little boy, about 10 years old, because Brother David, he called. He said, all right, some of y'all that's got faith... Come up here and line up, and you're going to lay hands on these people that need the baptism, and God's going to touch them. So that I remember, they, they came lined up, and this little 10-year-old boy, he came up there. And this lady who can't hear, and she don't know that she's coming to get the baptism, right? Because that ain't what she's coming up there for. She's got two hearing aids in, and they didn't work because she was deaf, deaf, deaf. And she walks up there, and she's standing there, and that little boy reached out his hand, and this this... He said, God baptized her in the Holy Spirit, but that ain't what she needed. But aren't you glad that God is not limited by what we ask for? Right? And so, the power of God hit that lady, and she 
she kind of, she was like this when she walked up there, but her eyes went. And all of a sudden, them things started going. Or something. I mean, something. They started. I don't know what hearing aids do to you, but I guess when you can hear really good, things get really loud. Whatever happened, she jerked them things out of her ears and threw them down on the ground. And she started going, now look, now you got to get it. I don't know how old she was, but here's how she was walking when she came up there. The power, the Holy Ghost hit her. She threw them things down and started going, oh, 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 oh. It's the truth what I'm telling you. I saw it. Man, everybody got excited. And she was all out of order. She's supposed to get the baptism. <laughs> and so... Man, everybody in the church knew her. And she started yelling, I can hear, I can hear, I can hear. Everybody went, Now look, Australians do that. New Zealanders, they don't do that. They're like stoic and they're more, they're more, they're more. Yeah, yeah, like New England. Wait till the Holy Ghost touches you and heals your ears. See if you stand still and don't holler. <laughs> and so it just rippled. So I'm over here in the meantime because there was time, you know, people lining up. And, and um, he called also, now those of you who need to get healed, you come over on this side. And I saw this lady come up that had cataracts. She was blind. She had to be helped up there. And her, you ever seen somebody that got cataracts? Milky white, straight across, gray. You can't see. And I'm like, I, I, I mean, I got a thing with blindness. I, I, Jesus touched me, and so I gravitate to people like that that have eye trouble. And so I was reaching my hand out to touch her, to pray for her. And God thought so much of my anointing that he didn't let me say anything. And her eyes just went... Vroom right in front of me and I didn't touch her I just went ha, 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 and then she started jumping up and down and running and carrying on acting totally un no totally un I don't know what they call them in New Zealand totally un-Kiwi-ish <laughs> I just want to know how that can be I'll tell you how that can be. I don't have my kids here. It makes me miss them. Because Jesus is alive. Because they know when I'm talking about this, they all yell. Because Jesus is alive! And if he's alive, that means he hadn't changed. Either the Bible's true or, it hadn't, or it's not true. And it is either all true or it's, no tr- it's, not, it's not truth at all. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's not about getting all your ducks in a row. The lady got in the wrong line. And I didn't actually touch her. God just just did what he wanted to do. Didn't use me at all. I just happened to be standing in front of her. So it was not my great anointing. How about this one? Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Same trip. 
in Australia, this is where they holler and scream and carry on, right? There were 5,000 people in this service, and the altars were packed around the altar. I mean packed, deep. And this lady in a wheelchair, wasn't nobody pushing her. She pushed herself up there, and she bumped people. She bumped people, and she got all the way up to her foot stirrups, bumped up against the stage, and the stage was about this tall. So there were steps going down. She's on the right side over here. I'll never forget it. And this stage, they're lively in Australia, and they had, they had enough room on the platform for 1,500 people to stand up there and jump and shout during worship. And they did that regularly. So it was full of people. And the altars were full of people. And it was pandemonium going on. <clears throat> and they came and got us, and we walked over to the right. Here's this lady. Her wheelchair bumped up against the steps. And Brother David walked down the steps, and I was right beside him. And I, I look, I'll never forget this, because it's the only time I've really seen it. In her face, I'm telling you, there was, there was so much expectancy and faith. And he said, yes, ma'am, what would you like? And he said, you put your hands on me, young man. I'm coming out of this chair. She'd been locked in that chair for about five or six years. And so he was like, yes, ma'am. And so he laid hands on her, two hands on her head. And she grabbed onto his wrists. And I laid hands on her too. And, and we had so many people to pray for. We, didn't, we were just praying about not very long with each person. Or you, you, it, it takes hours to pray for thousands of people. And so he backed up, he got done praying, I got done praying, he started backing up the steps. She held on to him, and her legs didn't work, and he drug her out of the chair, and he kept going back, and the first two steps, her legs kind of drug, she was hanging on like that, and I was watching I was, I was watching her legs going, oh, this ain't good. She's fixing to flop right down on the floor, and it ain't going to be because she's slain in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> we, our team just drug her out of the chair, but she took a step. And I remember seeing her ankle wobble like that. She took another step, and then she took another step, and I watched strength come into her ankles. And then by the time we got up to the stage about this tall, she was standing there, and she was hanging on. I mean, hanging on to him. And he looked at me, and he said, Here, take her, walk her around. Jesus healed her. And I'm watching. I'm watching her legs. She grabbed on to me, and buddy, buddy, she, I mean, like a lobster. <laughs> I told Quentin, you know, I grew up in the country. And we got these little bitty things in the creeks down there they call crawdads. Y'all know what a crawdad is? Wow. He told you liar. He told me y'all wouldn't know what they are. <laughs> and I told him, he asked me, what you want to eat? I said, I heard they got some big old crawdads up there. I want some of them things. 
<laughs> she grabbed a hold of me, and I'm telling you, we started walking. And there were instruments, there were people, there were cords, there were obstacles everywhere. And I was watching her, and I'm, I'm telling y'all, I saw God stabilize her legs and her ankles and her feet. But she didn't want to let me go. And she was holding on to me, and I just felt like she ought not be holding on to me. She needs to just go. Man, I was, and I started trying to get her hands off of me, and she was like an octopus. <laughs> Fingers. I finally got loose of her, and as soon as I peeled her last finger off, the Holy Ghost hit her, man, and she took off running. When she took off running, that church erupted, and a whole bunch of miracles that happened. But it was really cool. But what we didn't know was everybody had become exasperated with her in that church, and nobody would. they got tired of bringing her to the altar and bringing her for prayer because she had been believing God for five years to bring her out of that wheelchair. We should never stop believing. We've been believing God for my little girl to get healed for 21 years, not giving up. I don't care what the circumstances say. I don't care what the doctors say. They're doing their best to help her. They're doing good things for her, and all good things are from God above. Doctors are not devils. Medical science is a great blessing to this earth. But they can't fix her. Jesus can. And one day he's going <clears throat> to. Let's see here. How we doing? Y'all bored? I'll try to be, I'll try to hurry up. The deaf boy. I was going to tell you about the deaf boy in Agua Fria, but, where I, but your roast is burning, so I won't tell you about him. I told you about the lady who threw the, threw the hearing aids out. No, I'll go ahead and tell you about the boy. That was at the end of the service in a little bitty Mexican village. And we were sitting down because we've been praying for hours just like this. Worn out. And this mama brought this little boy. I don't remember how old he was. He was about this tall. She brought him up there and she stuck him right in front of us. And we didn't, she said he's, he's deaf from birth. And we didn't do anything. We were so exhausted we just laid our hands up there. We started praying in tongues. And all of a sudden, his eyes popped open like that. And he started hollering, Fuego, Fuego, Fuego. Any of y'all know Spanish? Fire. Now, he was totally deaf. And so God didn't just fix his ears. He gave him vocabulary too. Is that awesome? Because he never uttered a word in his life. He was a mute as well. And he started running around. I'll never forget it. He started running around praying for folks. And everybody he touched went flying. And these people, these people are more stoic and more stony than New Englanders. You're the one who said it. I'm not making fun. I'm just, I'm just describing. I mean, they're like statues, son. And they don't know anything about TBN. And so they were not taking courtesy falls when he was praying for them. The power of God was flowing through that little boy. How can these things be? Because Jesus is alive. How can this be? Because Jesus is alive. How can this be? Because Jesus is alive. So let's see, what's next on the list? 
Oh, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. We ran into this lady. I found myself in her hut, and she was hiding because she was embarrassed. And they wanted us to go pray for her. And I was trying to get around to see what, what, is, what is the problem. And she had, she had leprosy on her hands and her face. We prayed for her, nothing happened. But she started coming to church at her neighbor's house, right through the woods. And she would, we would go there for church every week, and, and she would kind of sneak in the kitchen door of the hut. It had kind of a back door, and she would stand in the dark. She was embarrassed to come inside. And uh, she was also shunned. But she was standing in the dark and listen. And then I would call, and we were just packed in there, just a few of us, 10 or 15, 20 or 30 max, in this little hut. But every time we, every time we preach, we pray for folks because they, they have needs. And so she would step up there and just look at the ground like that. We'd lay hands on her and pray for her. And then one day I got there. She always came late after dark. So one day we got there and we were sitting around. She walked in in the daylight. She walked in the main door. She had a smile on her face. And she walked straight up to me. And, and for her and her culture to approach a man that's not her husband or not a family member, that's, that's, this is bad. You don't do that. Unless God has done something. She walked straight up to me. And she's, her, her, her face was light. It was shining so much. And she said, God healed me. And she was so happy. And she said, I can see. Because I, I didn't know. She, she, she could barely see. She's, she was legally blind as well. Because there's nothing too hard for God. That's why. And because Jesus is alive. That's how. How can this be? Yes. And the last thing it says here, well, the next to the last. The dead are raised. So we had this pastor, national pastor, who was kind of coming on, you know, and he was sharing more and more. And he went to go do this church service. And he hiked from his village, which was at the top of a mountain, no road to it, no electricity. He did have running water, but running water meant a plastic hose that ran across the jungle floor for, for kilometers and kilometers and kilometers, and it was just a spigot tied to a stob in his yard. So not inside plumbing. <clears throat> he hiked down into this deep canyon, crossed the river, hiked back up this mountain to the other side to a village, and he got there and... It was not a, a positive situation going on. And a sister had gotten there, one of our believers that lived in the next village over. And she was distressed because her little boy had died. And she asked, can you come and pray? And so he said, yeah, and we'll all go. And so there was a few believers there, seven or eight or ten. So they canceled church service and they took off walking to the next village. It was about a 15 or 20 minute walk over there. And Hustino was this guy's name. And Hustino was walking along going. He was telling God inside. Lord, I, I have doubt. Tango do that. I, I mean, what can I Who, me? 
That's what he was saying, right? Who, me? I can't. I don't have enough. Because we all say that. And he's walking along and, he, and he's saying, oh, he's doing the who, me thing. And God speaks to him. I love this story. And he says, who are you going to be asking for help? And he's like, well, I'm going to be asking you for help, God. He said, that's right. You're going to be asking me for help. I don't have any doubt. <laughs> Is that If that is not a picture of God and Him filling in for our inadequacies and our weaknesses, I don't know what is. Well, that doesn't sound doctrinally sound, brother. Well, you need to go read the book. I came to you in weakness and fear, Paul said. I'm the least in my family. I can't do that, God. You want me to do what? Who, me? That's all in the book. And it's all up in our lives. And God's not hanging a carrot out there. He's not. So he's like, that encouraged him. That's right. Ah, you're on my team. So they walk over there to get there. And it was not a, not a, not a positive environment. There were a bunch of people in there that hate God and that hate the gospel. There were Catholic reciters and witch doctors and people that just hate Jesus. It's because they're blind, that's why. The God of this world is blind in the minds of unbelievers, that's what the Bible says. And so they were sitting there, but they, they have been persecuting this family. And so they're there not to console, but they're there to say, I told you so. And they're there to impose on her all of the pagan, idolatrous stuff that they do and people die. So the body, the little boy was laying on a table. And uh, it was cold and stiff. The body was. That's called rigor mortis. And so there are probably, a, there's a lot of medical conditions that we would think they're dead and they're not dead or but when rigor mortis sets in, everybody will tell you that's beyond resuscitation. That is dead, dead, dead. Impossible. Remember, there's no grades of impossible. Impossible is just impossible. Except our God is an impossible God. He does the impossible because He is the resurrection and the life. So they started praying. And they prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed some more. And they prayed for about an hour and nothing happened. So they sat down because they wanted to show their respects. And everybody in there, they're glaring at them. Mean looks. What I'm saying is Kim Walker was not singing and the heaven was not open. The environment was not comfortable. And so... People ask me all the time, how come God don't raise the dead in the United States? Well, well, there's one practical reason. We're not around death very much. For them, death is in the house. And the last time I checked, for there to be a dead raising, you have to be half somebody dead, and that's uncomfortable. Right? That's something nobody likes. It's like the worst thing you can think of. 
So they sat down and they continued to pray to themselves. You know what God had the nerve to do? God had the nerve to go, well, I reckon I made him. I can, I can crank him up again. And all of a sudden, boom, his heart kicked off, started beating. Warmth came back in his body. Color, he's brown. He turned brown. He went from pale, pale to brown, and he sat up. And all the God-haters flipped out, jumped up, and ran out of the house. (laughs) Yes, sir. Except for a few of them. So I want to know, how can this be? How can this be? And you know, you know why that happened? Because me, someone who didn't believe that they were anointed, who had all kinds of fear, identified with Paul. I came to you in weakness and fear. I struggled terribly to learn Spanish. It took me a long time. I'm pretty good now, but it took me a long time. I felt inadequate more days than I felt adequate. I stared down the barrel of who me so many times I've lost count. But because I dared to go there and introduce those people to Jesus, Jesus is totally unbothered by your who me. He was unbothered by my who me. And he didn't care that I don't have flawless faith and that I didn't get my healing doctrine all right and that I'm just honest with God. But I dared to go. Why? Because I got saved and the Lord told me I'm with you. And then he told me, I want you to go. And then he showed me, I put power in your hands, son. And even though I wasn't there, that was one of my disciples, which is even better. And that's not the only time that we've seen God do extraordinary things. We've seen Him heal gangrene. You know, that's impossible. When flesh rots off and you have nothing but dry bones showing, and God rebuilds a foot or a hand or a finger, that's called a creative miracle. And we go, wow, that's impossible. Like I said, there's not degrees of impossible. God can do anything. Dead is dead. God can raise the dead because he's the resurrection and the life. God can, can, can create limbs where there were none. We've seen him heal cancer. We've seen him heal all kinds of sickness, all kinds of witchcraft afflictions. And it's not because I always felt confident. It's not because I go into those situations saying, we got this and God's got this. And I'm telling you, I I felt weak more than I felt strong. But we have seen thousands of people healed and set free from the affliction by the devil. So that's my heart for you today. To be set free for God to clean the window open a little bit more. And to let you know who you are is okay with God. 
where you are is okay with God. I don't mean he's okay with, with our sin nature issues, but God's working with us in those things. That's what his grace is about. And he put us into each other's lives to help us work out of those sin habits that are ingrained because of our nature. So we got to stop throwing stones at each other. We need to love one another. We need to say, stop acting like that because that's not who God wants you to be. Come on, let's go with Jesus. Stop thinking like that because that's damaging to you. Stop engaging in that habit because that's destructive to you and to your marriage and to your family. You can do it because we can do it together. That whole carrot thing. Let's let the Holy Spirit erase that whole image. So y'all stand up. I want to pray for you. And I just want to pray for us all. And then, and then we'll be happy to lay hands on anybody that wants it. Is that okay? Is this all right? All right. So, Father, there's nobody like you. You're the most amazing person that's ever lived. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your power. And so, Father, I ask right now that you work to untwist the twisting, the wicked twisting efforts of the devil. To twist your intent. To use the concepts and the fact that you're holy against us. The devil twists that into fearful expectation of judgment. And he uses it against us. So, Lord, I ask you to dispel that. Judgment is coming. But, Father, we say that we, we grab you. We seek you. And we say we need your help. And so, Father, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you go heart to heart. Mind to mind. Soul to soul. Right now. And do your work. Deep in our hearts. Deep in our thinking. The strongholds of our thinking. Where we've misperceived you. Or even worse. We've misrepresented your love. Because of our misconceptions. Help us Jesus. Unwind those things. Just do your work. Holy Spirit. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your life and the abundance that it brings. Let it be done in the name of Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen.